Electronic Specifier. Hello there and welcome back to Electronic Specifier Insights and today I'm delighted to be joined by Matt Johnson who is the CEO of Leia. So hi Matt, thank you very much for joining us. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm great Paige. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be chatting with you on a Monday morning. <laughs> Excellent. Fantastic. So to start off with, Matt, why don't you give us a little bit of an introduction to yourself and your background? Sure. Yeah. So as you said, my name is Matt Johnson. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Layer, originally from the US, now based in the UK. And for about the oh, almost 15 years, I've been in the printed electronics industry, started in the printed electronics industry with a company called Bear Conductive, which was really the first direct-to-engineer, direct-to-designer technology from the printed electronics industry. And the goal there was to equip people with the capabilities that were normally, I felt, trapped in academia. So we were very excited about putting tools into people's hands and, and empowering them. I started Layer in 2021 uh, with a real interest in focusing on continuous monitoring of smart buildings. So we saw an opportunity for a unique sensor form factor, and certainly the COVID-19 pandemic reinforced the need for remote monitoring. So yeah, I've been doing that and, and living in London and yeah, very excited about what we're building. Fantastic. So tell us a little bit more about the company then. What is it you guys do? Sure. So as I said, Layer is a, a continuous monitoring solution for smart buildings. Our first use case is around monitoring escape of water. So that is water leaks from pipes, equipment, failures of building membranes, so leaky roofs. Uh, we're very focused on the commercial space. And that is the first use case that we have, though, as I'm sure we'll get into, that the printed sensor technology that we've developed has many, many other applications. But we're being smart about not biting off too big of a chunk in the first stage. Fantastic. And tell us why the company's called Layer. What's the story behind that? Sure. So naming a company in 2021 and surely in 2023 is a fun challenge. So it, there's all sorts of constraints around that. And I think for us, the most important thing was to get across the idea that we were adding something to the physical world and the digital world. And the more we discussed the fundamental premise of the technology, we realized that we were creating a layer of intelligence that existed physically and digitally. And in fact, a lot of our customers were referring to the technology as a smart layer. And so that's how we ended up with the layer name. The unique spelling of the name is partially a result of the challenging requirements of social media handles, trademarks, URLs, but is also a very intentional reflection of the way that our prints look. So that double I in the center, we think, is a nice little allusion to the printed tracks that we create on the product itself. Excellent. Love it. So thank you very much for the introduction. So today we are going to be talking about the Internet of Things and its role in water waste and leak monitoring. But before we get into that, why don't you give us a bit of background in, into what the situation with, with water currently is in 2023? Sure. So I, I think for to give you even more context, I come originally from Colorado and Colorado is in the Western US is a very, I would say a place with a lot of water scarcity and history of conflict around water, splitting between you know, urban and agricultural use. And water's always been something that I've been interested in because I grew up there. And 
what we saw in the last two years, especially in Europe, is a sudden recognition of the significance of maintaining our water supplies and carefully managing them. I think um, last year in the UK, you know, there was a brush fire just outside of London, or actually I think it was, it was maybe officially even within London, and that seems insane, right? The, the global view of the UK is a kind of fervent green landscape, but in fact, July last year, it looked like, you know, a desert savanna. And I think in 2022, you saw that recognition of, oh, even in places where historically it's very wet, water is a scarce resource. You saw that also in the U.S. where you had this persistent drought, which led to all those crazy images of reservoirs being almost empty in California. And so we saw last year a huge recognition. I think a recognition of water's importance and scarcity. I think that this year that may be different. And I really hope that we don't lose that focus, but there's been record snowfall in the Western US, which means that now it's very likely that places in California, which we're experiencing, you know, massive water shortage might now be dealing with landslides and floods and reservoirs that are over full. What I hope is that because of these events over the last few years in the extremes that people continue to to focus on water is a really important issue and the, the issues tend to be water quality so for drinking water and municipal use water scarcity and water equity because you do have a, a real challenge globally where some people have plenty of water and, and some people have almost none so you know essentially you know we're talking about climate change here you know it's it's causing water scarcity and more frequent and severe droughts you know so what what direct impact is this having then, you know, in particular in it for this year? Yeah, I think, the well, what impact it will have this year is a really interesting question. What impact it will have over the next decade, I think, is, is pretty clear. The biggest impact that most people will notice over the next decade is just an increase in conflict over water. And it's a horrible thing to have to say and to be able to see so clearly, but... Water quality and water scarcity lead to challenges in water equity, and people will start fighting over water. You know, we have a commodity right now that's incredibly cheap, and and yet if we don't have it, we've all only got a few days to live. You know, it's it's really that extreme. And I think the question is, what will happen over the next year? And the that's likely the mo- driven most by governments. So the UN's climate change goals list water as a specific goal. And I think if we see governments take that on, then we'll probably see much more rational consumption by consumers. But I think it's very likely, especially in the Western U.S., that if consumers see that all the reservoirs are full, which despite that, the Western U.S. is still in a drought condition. If people see those reservoirs full, they'll think, oh, I can start watering my lawn in Las Vegas. I can wash my car. I can, and, and certainly agriculture will will advocate for more water use. And I think that could put us in a kind of roller coaster cycle, unfortunately, rather than taking these recent events and and banking the benefits of it. And what about the the leakage side of things? You know, how are things like institutional mismanagement adding to this pressure around water? 
Yeah, definitely. So, you know, I think it's always important that I point out that right now, Layer is focused on escape of water events in buildings. So we're interested in leaking equipment and leaking pipes, leaking roofs. But we do see our scope is eventually being much larger than that. I think the institutional mismanagement you're referring to is likely on the part of water utilities that waste a huge amount of water. And, you know, there's a combination of maybe neglectful mismanagement and also a lack of investment of the infrastructure. So I think I wouldn't place all of the blame on the utilities, but certainly they get a lot of it. Thames Water in London is quite notorious for wasting a huge portion of its water through leaks in the pipes. So we have you know, a Victorian system which is leaky because of its age and suffers from a lack of investment but I also think that the from an institutional management side, there's very little incentive for them to improve their performance. There's very little incentive in terms of profits because it's not cutting into their bottom line. And there's also very little incentive from the government from like a punitive perspective, which, you know, I think if we in 20 years, we'll look back and go, oh, my gosh, that was insane. You know, we were wasting billions of liters of water needlessly and now we don't have enough and so the water's still on the planet right it's not it's not disappearing into space but it's becoming less and less equally distributed and harder to its its location and, and quantity is becoming harder to predict okay so let's deep dive into the technology side of things then how will the Internet of Things help alleviate some of this water stress and, and pressure that we've mentioned so far? Sure. So I, I think, as I said, it's not that the water is disappearing. It's that it's harder to predict, harder to harder to measure, harder to manage. And IoT can help us do that. You know, when we saw images of Lake Powell last year, which is a large reservoir in the western U.S., the media was, was talking about the bathtub ring. So it's in a place with very red rock, and you had this big white stripe, um, which made it very obvious how low the reservoir was, right? So the bathtub ring is 10 feet above the surface, 20 feet, 100 feet, 150 feet. That, for a long time, was the monitor, you know, that's that's the our eyeballs are the sensors and someone stands on the Hoover Dam and says hey that bathtub ring is now higher than it used to be but I think that that doesn't lead to a very precise measurement and the contributor to that change are many many streams many utilities many points of consumption and production and I think IOT allows us to manage and monitor that much more precisely and create a real efficiency as the price of water goes up and the cost of iot products come down you then hit a point where it's cost effective to start monitoring things that previously wouldn't have been cost effective to monitor okay so tell us about the different types of sensors that are available to help monitor you know wastewater and leakages sure so my expertise is really focused on uh, devices that are in buildings, but I'm happy to to talk a bit more generally about what kind of devices are used. But you know, starting in the building is a good place to to begin. So when we take water into a building, or what I should say, when we deliver water into a building, you know, we're pumping in water at pressure, and there is always a risk that it comes out where it's not supposed to. It's supposed to come out of the tap, but then it comes out of a pipe or a flange, then causes lots of damage. The 
primary ways to manage that water are either things that are built into the pipe, so something that is monitoring the flow through the pipe, and those can be very useful because you can get a sense of consumption. They are also potentially expensive, so they're not something that we would have in everyone's house. So not even every house has metered water, so not every house is even measuring exactly how much water the house itself is consuming. And certainly most houses don't have an individual measurement points, say for the bathroom or the kitchen. In a large industrial facility, you almost certainly have that kind of equipment because you can help improve the efficiency of your, your production. Those devices can also be useful for understanding if there's a leak because you can have a change in flow. The challenge is that they're not widely distributed over the facility. So if you do see a change in flow, which suggests a leak, you might not be sure where that leak is. So you might have put this on the end of a few hundred meters of pipe or at the beginning, and you you then have a kind of terrible game about where is the leak in those few hundred meters of pipe. So if you're then interested in monitoring for leaks or waste that's coming out of pipes, so escaping out of equipment, then you have a couple of different options. You've got what would traditionally be called a flood sensor or a spot sensor. These are you know, kind of small pucks that would sit underneath a dishwasher in a home. And the simplest ones will just beep a bit like an old style smoke alarm if they get wet. Then you have things like water leak sensing ropes, which really looks like a rope, which you can lay down. They get used a lot in data centers. So you can put them behind, say, a rack of servers. They can be made to be very sensitive and they cover a large area. So we can do a 10 meter run of that and we know when there's water back there. What we see with those three existing types is that you you always have to make a choice between coverage area, cost, and precision. So with some of them, you can cover a really large area at a relatively low cost. So that would be like the water leak sensing rope, but they're not terribly precise. Whereas the puck covers a very small area, but it's incredibly precise and it's pretty low cost. So we saw an opportunity to deploy what our customers would refer to as smart tapes, which allow us to cover a very large area with a lot of precision at a low cost. That kind of fundamental thinking does scale somewhat to utility scale, you know, where they're trying to monitor for leaks along much longer runs. But the, techno- the technical solution tends to be different. But that same challenge of coverage area precision and cost exists. Fantastic. So tell us more about these smart tape sensors then. You know, how exactly are they being utilized to provide high quality insights? Sure. So we are most interested in leaks, or I should say, make to make it as simple as possible, we're interested in finding water where it should not be. So what we're doing is putting our devices underneath equipment. So a great example would be HVAC evaporator drains. So HVAC units, so air conditioning units, require a drain because they create condensation. And so you end up with a lot of water that you have to dispose of properly. And when I say that, you know, meaning it, you don't want that water to just end up on the floor. So we have drains that should be putting that water into either an external port, so pouring it outside outside of a building or putting it into a pipe. Those things are very frequently blocked, and that can damage the building quite significantly over time. So we are saying 
with our devices that, hey, we see the presence of water in this spot where there shouldn't be. Potentially you have an evaporator drain that is blocked. Another example would be a leaking pipe flange. So where you bolt two pieces of pipe together, this is the spot where leaks tend to happen. Leaks don't generally happen along the center of a pipe. They, they happen where there's junctions. Typically that's not a space that would be monitored and you might not notice that you've lost water because you might have a leak which visually is significant, but in terms of the volume of water being delivered to the building isn't that significant. So, you know, someone occupying the space isn't going to report that, hey, the, the tap is running you know, really slowly, but you could have enough water that you are doing significant damage to the building structure and building equipment, and then, of course, just wasting a ton of water. So, what we do is put a device there. So we might wrap a piece of tape around the flange. We might stick it to the floor. We might stick it to the wall. Depending on the, the physical configuration of the space, we can install it in different ways. And our hardware then reports that data to the cloud. So what we give is the location, the presence of water against multiple sectors on the tape, and then the temperature as well. And that has proved very, very useful for customers to really understand early on in a leak what's happening and, and how significant the event is. And following on from that, tell us more about the LoRaWAN sensors. You know, how do these in particular transform water management? Yeah, definitely. So LoRaWAN is the communication standard that we use. So long range, low power, wireless communication. And we see that LoRaWAN and LoRa in general is becoming the go-to standard for smart buildings and smart cities for a very practical set of reasons. It can cover a very large distance with good penetration through buildings and is a very low power standard. So it's great for sensors that might be only providing kind of proof of life updates every few hours until there's an event and that event might be in a year. And in a year from now, we need to then provide immediate information um, and have that instantaneous response. So we get this great benefit of distance and battery life with LoRaWAN. And I think that that capability, along with the cost reductions in LoRaWAN components, means that you're able to deploy sensors on a much bigger scale than you have been able to previously. So when we go to LoRaWAN conferences, we see endless products around monitoring every aspect of building in a city's infrastructure. So, you know, on one extreme, we see forest fire detection systems that are powered by LoRaWAN. So you have units that are, I believe, doing measuring smoke and heat, mountain and trees that are in very remote locations. And then on the other side, you have incredibly precise local sensors that are monitoring um, small changes in power consumption within a building. So we really think that LoRaWAN is enabling the Internet of Things vision that everybody seems to hold in their head. Now, the systems that we currently use to process wastewater are very energy intensive, globally using around 1.75 million gigawatts or gigawatt hours each year, which is more than the combined electricity consumption of all the households in the United States. So how can IoT help reduce the carbon footprint of wastewater treatment? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I, water is both expensive in terms of its, its monetary cost. It's also expensive in terms of its carbon cost. So one of the most terrifying statistics to me is that 
one toilet that's running. So a toilet which has been flushed, but you know hasn't can continues to run and waste water can use as much carbon in a year as a plane flying from New York to London, a commercial flight full of passengers. And you start to then think about how many hotels or airports, you know, public spaces that you've been to where you have a toilet that's just continuously running. Mm -hmm. And you realize like, oh, that's, that is a waste of the water resource. It's a waste of the money that people are spending to get the water delivered to them. And it's also a huge carbon sink. And so that is true in many aspects of what we're doing. And I think that IOT plays a really important role there in increasing efficiency. And don't think that there's any single IOT device that's going to suddenly transform the efficiency of the process, but there are many small devices that will create significant benefits. So devices which precisely monitor the consumption of water at the endpoint are very useful to avoid leaks, but also to to help companies create more efficiency. And then on the other side, devices that monitor the efficiency of a membrane at a wastewater treatment facility can help understand, you know, at what point a membrane needs to be replaced or repaired or serviced. And that that creates an efficiency um, upstream as well. So there are many different spots where we can see that IoT will make a difference. And despite the challenges of, of the last few years, there are certainly reasons to be optimistic. I've, I've heard that, that this year will be the strongest year yet for investment in, in water tech. So tell us about some of the initiatives and opportunities that you feel will make a big difference to water efficiency improvements. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, when I look at our space, it was maybe three years ago when we had investors talking about impact and saying, look, we want to invest in companies that are making a positive environmental impact. But it wasn't thematically organized yet. It was a kind of catch-all term. But we've seen a really rapid maturation of that discussion such that now investors are talking about very specific verticals. So we're interested in your impact around carbon, carbon capture, plastic waste, water, and so water being one of those focus areas, I think is incredibly positive because people have realized that water will be the point of conflict in the future. And it is an absolutely essential resource, which we all take for granted. And so it's worth investing in. So I think just the fact that people are paying attention to water should make us feel optimistic about it. I think also the UN's climate change initiatives or climate goals have helped to really focus on water quality. That coupled with, you know, a few large corporate scandals, especially around things like PFAS, so, you know, commonly referred to as forever chemicals in the media, have really highlighted the role that corporates have to play in water quality. Sometimes the role they've played in decreasing our water quality significantly and, and and the potential that they have to improve water quality in the future. So it feels like everyone's very focused on water suddenly, which is is great for us. And I just hope that it continues. I think my only fear is that we lose focus on that over the next, the next year. Every time it rains, everyone thinks the water problem is solved. But we have to remember that we're not talking about weather, we're talking about climate. But I do think there are plenty of reasons to be optimistic. Fantastic. And, and with that in mind, then, how do you see IoT technologies use in this field advancing? 
Well, I think that IoT, as has always been true with IoT, an advancement in the field is likely going to be propelled by the advancement of a supporting technology. So one of the biggest barriers that we see right now is battery life and battery replacement. So, you know, if you are proposing monitoring a, a water pipeline or a water transfer pipeline in the Western U.S., you know, you don't want to have any leaks and you might have a pipeline that is exposed to the open air for hundreds of miles. And right now it's not really feasible to monitor that whole pipeline. If you're saying, look, every couple of years, someone needs to drive, hike, climb across this pipeline and replace batteries. And so that's not a great use case right now for IOT. But as we see things like battery life improve dramatically or energy capture technology or small scale photovoltaics improve, then we see that suddenly those use cases make sense. And I think that that's the exciting opportunity for IOT in the future. You know, I, I don't necessarily think that it's miniaturization, more, um, uh, more, more functions and, and higher efficiency that will generate this kind of uh, uptake. Some good points. And, and before we wrap up then, is there anything else that you'd like to discuss around this topic? No, I, I think that you, you asked me some fantastic questions. So I really appreciate you giving me a chance to talk about water. As I've hit a few times, people who are in the water field didn't used to be cool and, and it, subject to podcast invitations. <laughs> so I'm very excited to now be cool enough to be on an electronic specifier podcast <laughs> and get a chance to talk about this critical resource and all of the exciting opportunities that we have to, to monitor it and prove our use of it. Brilliant. Well, we've really enjoyed having you as a guest, Matt, and thank you so much for your insights. It's been a real pleasure. Likewise. Thank you so much for your time, Paige. I really appreciate it. Electronic Specifier.